0: blog talk radio <music>
1: delighted to welcome you back here today for what has been a very active week of episodes and you'll find that the next couple of weeks are going to be that way and I'm just so delighted to be bringing some very interesting wonderful guests onto this show I'm once again talking to you from what is quite a rainy Pacific Northwest we actually had an ice storm out here in the Portland area but I'm on the other side of town where we just got a bunch of rain and um I had the delight of walking in the rain this morning which which I always enjoy and so I'm just feeling very refreshed and ready for today's show. And today in about a moment I'm gonna bring on the air um a new guest to the show, Paul R. Boudreau, and his new book is Awakening Higher Consciousness, Guidance from Ancient Egypt and Sumer a book that he co-authored with Lloyd and Dickey. Now, today we are going to talk about how the research that these two have been engaged in shows how myths from the ancient world are more than mere stories. They are gateways, essentially, to awakening consciousness. They help with our understanding of the greater world and how to balance our worlds the the world that seems around us which can be the elusive world and this this greater world well i guess elusive in the sense of illusion and then this greater elusive world using the word elusive with an e that can sometimes slip away from us so we're going to talk about how these myths Help us to understand this and make the divine more accessible. Paul and his co-author Lloyd isn't here today, but Paul will speak on his behalf, I'm sure. They both spent more than a year in Egypt um, exploring sacred sites. And actually, Paul has had um, a lifelong connection with mythology. And, you know, he has explored science and this for many years um, and traveled extensively. And he is an ecologist by trade and, and comes to understand these things um, with a societal perspective and, and really what's meaningful to each of us within that context. And his website, which I'm going to spell for you to, to help you right at the outset so you can make a note of it, is com. It is Up on the page, but I know not all of you can necessarily see that. And I'm just so delighted to have all of you here today, and to bring Paul Boudreau
0: on the air. Welcome, hello Susan. How are you? Uh, Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. We'll get uh, get the rhythm going here in a second.
1: (laughs) <laughs> well, you'll find that, that the rhythm of this show is is very relaxed, and that that we enjoy exploring here. And and you are very much an explorer, Paul. Um, I I really, ha- am learning a lot from spending time with your work, which is a continual unfolding. Let me say this is this is something that there's a lot to this.
0: Oh, absolutely! It, it's it, as you mentioned, it's been a lifelong interest for both myself and Lloyd in terms of you know when some of our first memories encountering some of these myths and, and uh, it's continued through our lives and we still work day to day to try to understand what that means what the myths mean for me personally and and for ourselves as as a society so absolutely it's it's just one more step in the process
1: yes yes you know something that you touch upon paul and and really i feel revealed through through this book and your work is is something that we all have in common, really, is what touched you as a child what- sh- what touches all of us this this sense mm. of of wonder and and maybe that's a good place to start is is how this we all share this connection to myth to help us all realize that
0: yeah we we start at the beginning i guess uh, yes for us as individuals, those early memories uh um, well, for me personally, it was a lightning bolt, you know, listening to some of the stories, particularly uh, growing up in a, a Christian household and hearing the stories of the Garden of Eden and and mm-hmm. naked people running around with a snake, sort of, <laughs> how could it not catch your attention? <laughs> you know, there, there's something here that I didn't understand and... Uh, uh, but there's something important because these these adults, you know, the, my teachers, my 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 parents, my my associates, you know, they were they were telling me these stories for a purpose, right?
1: Yes.
0: Not just to entertain me, but to give you know prepare me for life. So, yes. um, you know, be, before even school started, uh, these sort of stories, myths, and when uh, I I should say when, when Lloyd and I talk myths, we talk. Myths in the very broadest sense, uh, uh-huh. from from fairy tales that that we've all heard, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, uh, through to uh, you know the Sumerian, Egyptian stories that we 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 analyze in the book, and right through the Bible. So you know we we talk myths in the broadest sense, but they all seem to be, or well, they all were conveying some very important information that connected with with my being without having to go to, to 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 study philosophy or, you know, I, uh-huh. I didn't need all that baggage. Um, but yet these myths were able to connect and, and wake me up a little bit at a very young age, and uh, I'm still working through that. <laughs> yes.
1: Paul, what have we, what have we um, lost in a way where, or maybe it's emerging in other ways. In fact, I think you do say this to some degree, but you know we don't all sit around the fire and listen to stories anymore although those stories are still very much in our culture is um how can we begin to understand what that was like for our predecessors what what they derived from this communal experience of sharing in story and myth uh
0: let me start Let's go in reverse. Have Have you seen the Star yes. Wars movie? Yes, <laughs> I was just
1: going to say it's still happening. And you said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you know, I have a ticket ha- waiting for me, I've been told. So, yes, I for will. For the latest one.
0: <laughs> You'll <laughs> have to tell me it's good. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like
1: the golden ticket, although not on the first it, day. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think it I think it always has been there through you know, humankind. Uh right up to present day, and the method may change. Um, But for my kids, watching Star Wars opened up a whole avenue of discussion um, on on, on these topics that that we had not managed to get to any other way. Um, Looking back, you know, in in, in the distant past with, you know, looking up at the stars without, you know, just a campfire, I think we were all human, and I think that although the technologies change, I think the connection still is made in in, in those different situations. Yeah. And we'll see that, we see that in the myths, you know, the myths take different forms with different images. But yet we all, we find that they all come back to this idea of their their help, their guidance for reminding me of who I am and, and who I'm not, yeah. uh, reminding me of my various parts and a good story is is a very important part of that. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah. we uh, we specifically look in the book, you know, we we divided the we look at th- several layer, levels of interpretation of myths. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but you know, a, a good story has to engage you, it has to interest you. And uh mm-hmm. But just because it's a you know a good story of good and bad or you know various sides of one person, there are other levels that that as an adult uh, and with my you know my preparation, my training, my my work, I'm able to see higher levels of interpretation of uh, of, of of some of these what could what appear to be very simple myths. And yeah. so, uh, the trick is to add more to the to what the myth is is, is providing me and and see more of myself in the myths so that. They're not just crazy, simple stories. Uh, that actually are, are connecting with what I can see. Uh, in many cases, myths provide us with a, a language, or they're trying to provide us with a language. Um, higher awakening, higher consciousness, you know, spirituality, um, the self, as, as Jung put it. You know, those, those concepts don't—they're hard to convey. Uh, at least I find them hard to convey. Um, much harder than you know watching Luke Skywalker fly through the space, and you know um, <laughs> so we we have to find a, a language both for you and I to talk and, and for us to talk to other people, but we also need a language for ourselves to remind us and uh, what we are and to see ourselves uh, as 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 a the many parts, right? We, we we have a body, and that body gets hungry. And we have emotions, and and uh, but every once in a while, there's a a flickering of something higher, yeah, higher yeah. that that yeah. wakes me up. And I think the myths provide us with some, or provide me with some language that helps me realize it. That, yeah, though, that's that's a real awakening, and I've got to pay more attention to it, and not get too distracted by how hungry I am. <laughs>
1: yes, you know something that I was reflecting upon as I was thinking about this. And, and actually, it really is relevant to Star Wars and, and maybe that this whole genre that's out there of, um, you know, kind of a new mythology, fantasy-type literature that's out there. And what I have observed is I mm-hmm. came from kind of a scientific, um, high-tech educational background, and I right. observed many people who might, on the surface, Say they're rationalists might use that term, or some people might call mm-hmm. them materialists, or not necessarily, not all of them. I don't want to characterize any one group this way, but there can right. be that element of of not necessarily wanting to to engage with a a direct spiritual tradition or, or anything like that. Yet mm-hmm. <laughs> this group, in particular, you will hear them recite. You know all the fantasy novels of a particular of someone like David Eddings or you know you know whatever mm-hmm. that was in my day in the eighties you know these popular fantasy authors mm-hmm. or they will be the kids who and I was one of them in the seventies. Couldn't get enough of Star Wars. Truthfully, I watched it over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you couldn't watch it over and over back then easily. You had to go to the theater <laughs> and stand right, in line right, and right. Yeah, people God. listening. You mm-hmm. know, people don't remember that, or those who who came along later don't realize. But in any that, it engaged us in a way. Just like you're talking, it was just so mm-hmm. magical, and it uplifts us out of maybe our own um, limitations in terms of thinking about spirituality. And and that's that's mm-hmm. kind of a complex question, but somehow it's important because it's really lifting us all to a similar place, I think.
0: Mhm. Well, I, I don't want to similar play, but but yeah, you're right. It, it, uh, we don't we, <laughs> I should point out we don't define higher consciousness. Yes. Uh, you know, uh that it, it's a very personal thing and and there's no point in getting bogged down in terms of defining the goal. Just right right now, right here, I can breathe and I can be a bit more awake than I was seconds ago. And that opportunity presents itself endless times in my life and, and, each time I'm a little bit different coming out the other side. So, yeah, to see you know Luke turning off his computer, it's like wow, that's
1: wow, yeah. I love that symbol still. I, I use that often in my head. It's like okay, uh, I'm doing that again. <laughs> you know, yes, 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 exactly. It, it doesn't have to have so a label, my, does it? I mean, it's the experience of it.
0: I, if you some things you have to you know have a word for, but if you label it too quickly. You know that and it, it disappears. It, it falls like jelly through your fingers, and and, uh-huh. and you can't grasp it. So, uh, uh-huh. so getting back to the book, of course.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <fine.
0: Please. laughs> Um we we've gone to we've looked at a number of, of myths in this way, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, well, they they they're. Some of them are are well-known to to us. I mean, we we definitely deal with the Garden of Eden, but um, we also deal with Gilgamesh and Egyptian Osiris story. And these are stories that some people may or may not have encountered. But um, the question is, how do you bring yourself to them? And and if you do that, what can you see in them? For instance, um, um, Gilgamesh. It's a story from ancient Sumer, which is 5,000 years old. Um, 2,000 years before the Greeks started writing. I mean, it, it, this was the very first literature of, of humans, which is, is fascinating. And um, in Gilgamesh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a story of a, a semi-demigod a and his, his wild partner. And the two guys go off and they do great things. And most people are familiar with it as a an external tale, you know, you know, demigod living five thousand years ago and, and, and whatnot. Well, that is somewhat satisfying, but it really didn't help us understand why we're still telling that kind of tale um yeah. five thousand years later. And so uh what we've done in the book is to sort of explore the the, the spiritual side of the story and um the way we've uh, looked at it is more of a tale is of my parts. Uh, you know the the demigod is my is it's my demigod. It's part of me that that's part of that story. And the mate for the, the 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 fellow helper for the demigod in the story of Gilgamesh is a, a sort of wild man, and I can identify that mm-hmm. wild man in myself in terms of my emotions that, you know, have road rage and and, uh, (laughs) go off off track. So um, we were able to find a a number of different levels in the story of Gilgamesh uh, that helped me see my different parts working. And and, um, ultimately in the story and in myself, what's required is a balancing of my godlike parts and my body part. I am a body, and I have to work with the the higher. I can't just, you know, exist as a globe, you know, a ball hanging in in the ether. And so we found that the story of Gilgamesh is one example of the myths we look at. uh, Really did a good job of capturing these these multiple parts of ourselves and reminding myself that, oh, yeah, just I've got to remember to come back to my breathing, to my my appetite, to, you know, uh, my pains and sorrows and woes. And I have Uh to find that other higher level, which reconciles those two different sides of me, the godlike side and the animal side, um, to come up with a reminder to me of of what my ultimate goal is, and that's to be, what, uh, real, to be... More than a more than an animal, you know. It's, yeah. it's again the words are difficult, but the, the myth we found was a uh, quite uh, quite a, a lovely way of expressing some things that we've been seeing in ourselves throughout the years. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh,
1: yes, actually, can I, I, can I? I had made a note that um, something you said in that section of the book that that touched me is is how. And, and honestly, I think that a lot of people have encountered this myth. Whether they totally remember it, I don't know, but I think just about everybody has, has been required in high school at some point, in any class, any kind of um, English program, probably probably has encountered it. Um, but something so. you say about the love between the parts of our being, so as if not only just knowing these parts mm. exist, but loving them, accepting mm. These parts and self love and and what that means what what is self love how is self love expressed in this in this tale
0: the, and how is self love expressed amongst opposite things uh, we talk a bit yeah. about reconciliation of opposites it, yeah uh, we're, we're often presented with love you know falling in love and and it's easy it's glorious it's you know it's love of child and such. But the love here is how, how do two disparate parts, how do two different parts, really appreciate each other in a way that they yeah. can love each other? Uh, yeah. Uh, and and that's part of my challenge from and as I strive for wholeness. How do I bring my parts so that they love each other mm-hmm. and not work against each other and you know not not interfere with each other because they 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 do seem to be very very separate when I get <laughs> when I develop road rage.
1: Yeah, that's a really uh, good example. So so how would it help us navigate that? So we all we've all had it happen. You know, we do something <laughs> we say something, I'll, you know, not just on the road. We just it's just like, oh you know, why why did that happen? Why why did I do that? you know, how does that how how does this tale help us to reconcile that a little bit better
0: and just accept ourselves? It, Is there an example? It's uh, I, it primarily has to do with recognizing the parts and recognize that I'm not one person. I, you know, I could be leaving the house in the morning and say I'm going to be calm. I'm not, and then waking up to the fact that I'm angry at somebody that cut me off. It's like, yeah how yeah. could how could that have happened? You know, I'm, I'm a, We think we're rationalist, right? We we in the Western world, we think we're logical. Uh, yeah. But yet, this, the, these illogical events creep in. That, that uh, uh, if I notice them, I see more of myself. That's more. That's a part I have to love, as opposed to deny or <laughs> uh, forget about or, uh, yeah. or, or I guess in many cases dwell on for the rest of the day that someone cut me off. I mean,
1: really, yeah. Why, why, yeah.
0: why should that matter? So seeing the parts. Uh, Comes up in 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 Gilgamesh and in uh, the story of Adam and Eve and and, and, and all of these ancient myths. So that it keeps reinforcing the need for me to look at my parts and realizing I'm not one. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm, uh, there, I'm there's not just one eye. They, they, there's another one ten minutes later, and 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 so to see that, it's huge for them yeah. to fall in love with each other. <laughs> I
1: don't know. <laughs> yeah, to, to really be able to accept that, yes. And, and then something else before we leave Gilgamesh that, that I wanted to explore briefly, because, of course, we're, not, we're only going to be able to touch on some of these things, but you had mentioned yeah. that um, there's there's an element here about going to the limit of your abilities, where, where, you know, I almost see like in the modern world, you know, burnout, for example. You know, if somebody's really pushing themselves... To the limits of their ability, and I wonder if you could talk about that very briefly. That that how that applies, of course, to our our world today and our lives today.
0: It's there's a there's a number of grades to that. I mean, the the, the one that comes to mind right away is, of course, in, in music. And I practice music, and I and I write songs, and I try to enjoy music. And I'm terrified of performing. But if I yeah. Go push myself to perform. I perform better than I ever expected. Yeah. Uh, I have a bigger impact than I ever expected. So, yeah. uh, you know, that that's sort of the positive side of pushing yourself to the limit. Yeah. And, uh, we know burnout and uh, we live quite a different life than, than the Egyptians or Sumerians and, <laughs> and we yeah. have to deal with pressures differently. Um, yeah. So there's certainly a bad side. Uh, but... We talk about direct experience and if you're really if one can get in connection with one's parts, uh then that opens doors for for performance in, in the broadest sense, uh, in yeah. performance in, in a way that, that isn't ordinary, isn't uh, yes. isn't normal.
1: Yeah.
0: Now kind of
1: transcendent.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely transcendent. Yeah. So you know, we, we we can't get into why we have traffic jams in the 21st century, <laughs> um, but we seem to be chasing things that, that give us the not good stress but give us the bad stress. And, and, uh, and as I say, we, we can't get too much into what would it be if, what would it mean if our civilization could buy into wholeness and, being as opposed to money and progress uh, you know yeah. that's a uh, <laughs> that's a much different conversation
1: yes yes very mm-hmm. much so um i want to take us back a little bit because you spend a lot of time and we've
0: sort of touched upon
1: it a little bit when you talk of like the story of adam and eve but even going farther back i i i'd like to take us to the creation myths and and also, um, well, we'll start there, and then I think we've already started to talk about separation a little bit because we sort of we start with creation, we lead to separation. So I wonder if you could just kind of kind of take us through because there's a lot of rich there's a rich tapestry there. So I'll, I'll leave it to mm-hmm. you to see what you'd like to explore there for us.
0: Well, if I may, can I just read one of the quotes from the book? Uh, it, sure,
1: that sure. would be perfect. We, we
0: one of the challenges is is bringing making people aware that that some of these concepts are much older than we ever imagined so in the book we build on on a sumerian myth um, which reads and i'll just read two lines uh, halfway down it says when the heavens had been separated from earth, when earth had been delimited from the, delimited from the heavens, when the fame of mankind had been established, and it goes on to say a few other things so some of the earliest literature that humans ever wrote down had to do with this separation, this distinction yeah. from heaven and earth. Yeah. And it gets back to seeing the different sides of, of myself. I, we, we talked about it a few minutes ago. But right. it, 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 it's a question of, of seeing uh, the parts from a higher level so that it, uh, my best visual image comes is the yin and yang, you know, yeah. the circle with the two teardrops in it. Um they're in a whole they're in a circle but but the two sides play with each other, and they have to work together to be the to to make the whole but and if if you're not perceptive enough or aware enough to see the distinction to see the separateness to see earth from heaven, light from darkness, love from hate um it's hard to see enough detail to sort of reconcile the two parts to 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 actually have them working together. So, uh, I think the first step is definitely to recognize that there are these distinctions, there are these differences um and and then that helps one appreciate that, okay, well, if I've got this this god like side of me and I've got my appetites to see that they're not the same helps me appreciate that okay, that's where my work that that's where my work should go it has to has to develop both those sides, and it's not one over the other it's not one beating the other which you know in 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 modern the modern world progress means you know the white cap uh, cowboy wins over the dark hat cowboy you know it's yeah that that's uh, that that's not very productive for for my own personal development but to yeah. see that there's these two sides um that could work together uh, is really very useful and and well it's essential otherwise i'm just a mess of you know I don't know who's going to be working uh working me in the next couple of minutes uh, is it going to be my hunger or is it going to be my desire to be nice to people yeah so yeah. uh from the very beginning the, the 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 early literature that that we've looked into from Egypt and Sumer had to do with making these distinctions and, and seeing seeing the distinctions in a way that that didn't have one operating against the other
1: I have a question here about paradox, Paul. It seems like anyone who you know who reflects upon experience and duality, um, mm-hmm. there's a there are par- there's a paradoxical nature of of understanding duality in the sense that by by somehow reconciling it, balancing it, you transcend beyond it, beyond mm-hmm. it in a way, which is what you described. And I, I wonder um, if if you could explore this, the the whole concept of, of paradox a little bit more deeply, because it's just such a fundamental question. We struggle with this in our society. It tends to lead us to the whys. You know, how can there, it can create atheists and agnostics. I mean, it, it, it tends to be a very troubling area where there's a paradoxical nature of our world, and, and myth expresses that and helps us, I feel.
0: Um, I think it helps us live with the paradox. Uh, I yeah. don't think you know many yeah. paradoxes are never going to be resolved. You know the the, the story of King yeah. Solomon ready to cut the baby in half. Well, that resolved yeah. it. But uh, even. Even in modern day physics, if I can take a little diversion, uh, modern physics, there's yeah you you would understand this. You could explain it better than I. Oh, I don't know about that. Go ahead. Particles and the the particle and wave nature of light. Yeah. Now light is something we encounter every day. I mean, we turn on a light, we need it to see, and yet there's no resolution. In fact, that that it, it it exists both as a particle of light as as well as a wave, and um, we just have to accept that and, and accept that those are just two different states the, uh, yeah. of, of the same thing. So love and hate, um, this I I, I believe is on the same level. Uh, I would like to think that I would become saintly and love everybody, but <laughs> to date, this is, hasn't happened yet. <laughs> So I've got to accept that that, that these paradoxes uh, exist and they live in me. And a rational world tends to drive us to a resolution of paradox, whether it's a good resolution or a, a necessary pa- pa- resolution. And uh, I don't think that's really beneficial for us to, to always drive to, to resolving the paradox. Yeah. I think it's better yeah. to... To, to try to just appreciate both sides, and, and in some cases maybe strengthen, but it's not just the, spirit, uh, the field of spirituality. Uh, you know, physics, hard physics, still still has to struggle with uh, with uh, these kind of paradoxes.
1: Yes, yes,
0: and that's um, not without you know, trying to resolve them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Somewhere along the the way, in in as in your exploration, I know that you speak of the heart versus the mind in a way and how these are expressed and and somehow it seems like the mind tries so hard to logically resolve things um and and yet the heart perhaps sees beyond it you know it, it can't quite explain it it's it's like looking at a an object in the sky without looking directly at it, you know, where you can see it better. I always found that odd. You know, if you, people are into astronomy they <laughs> say, Well don't look <laughs> you know what if you don't look <laughs> That's a good example, at, yes. uh, at Andromeda. You'll see it, you know, or or whatever. And and there's mm-hmm. something there I think related to this that, that and mm-hmm. and so I guess just to form a question here is since this is a topic we've explored a lot on this show, um you know the, mm-hmm. the following one's heart and, and listening to one's heart. Um, how how does myth help us with that? Help us to to get in touch. I mean,
0: with the heart. Most most myths include a very strong relationship between. Well, Gilgamesh is an example between participants. Garden of Eden is another uh, relationship, and there's a lot of interaction relationship between all the players in in in, in the myths we've looked at um, and so i don't know if that gets directly at, at how we could strengthen our our heart and our intuition over our our logic um in the western world we're 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 well conditioned to use our logic and our heads yeah. in, in formal fashion uh, we go to grade school and and university and whatnot but um we're not so formally trained in terms of how we could follow our hearts and uh that may be something that uh, we have to connect we have to uh, address down the road but uh, there are certainly many people that I've met that that are guided more by their heart than their head and in many ways I'm envious because yeah. uh, as you say I'm an am an ecologist so I I I seem some some of my logical side um, Yeah
1: yeah. Uh, you categorize I've, things, perhaps you
0: know. Or, or, or yeah, know. but yeah. one of my own personal experiences uh, here in, in Nova Scotia has been to spend some time with some of our First Nations people, uh-huh. and and uh, participate in some of their talking circles, and uh, and so and, and they definitely demonstrate a, a movement which leads from the heart uh, much more than. Than logic, and it's a it's an incredibly powerful force when you you experience it. So there are there are certainly cultures and seeds and, and people that that are well versed in, in in leading with the heart more than I, and uh, that's one of my challenges to sort of learn from them and appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, as long as we're talking about place for a minute and, and it's good that you mentioned that, that you're in Nova Scotia. Um, uh, maybe this is a good time to to at least talk a little bit about your amazing travels and how how this has connected you to to these myths. And I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about that, you know, where you've been that like, exploring the pyramids and, and you know, um the the hieroglyphics and things. I'd love to hear about that a little.
0: I've been I've been very fortunate to to be a, a, an ecologist a scientist and and uh, my specific field was marine ecology and and so that uh-huh. gave good reason to to travel to many of the world's oceans and coasts to for conferences and you know mangrove swamps in Malaysia and whatnot but there was always a, a few days where you could uh, find some free time and so Lloyd and I have. Uh, have experienced together Stonehenge and we've spent, uh, some time in the the King's chamber in, in Egypt and, mm-hmm. um, Lloyd's been to Bolivia and, and Cambodia, to, uh, to Angkor Wat. And, and so we've just made it a, a point that, okay, you're going to here. Okay. Well, what, 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 where, what else can we see and where else can we go? Um, and another thing that's uh, another place we've been that that is very influential is the back of the uh, back of a fishing boat in in March off of uh, the Atlantic coast, cutting up fish, doing some of our research, and uh, seeing the moon rise and the planets above you, and and uh, uh, really appreciating our place on the world as you sit on this little bobbing piece of steel in the middle of the ocean. So if we. We try to make the best of of all of our opportunities, and and again, I I express gratitude more more than anything else. I guess that my life was able to uh, put me in those places. Of of course, there are many, many places to visit, and and, uh, it's a very exciting time. uh, Actually, Susan, uh, with re-looking at archaeology and, and yeah. finding new places that, that that still intrigues me and interests me that I haven't gone to yet. Yes, yeah, and uh, they're discovering uh,
1: new things, you know, the way they're scanning the pyramids now and all that, and finding new abs- chambers. It's very exciting, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, very much so, and, and things that I couldn't have imagined when when we started the book so many years ago uh, uh-huh. uh are now being discovered and, and there's this site in Turkey that Göbekli Tepe that's you know 10,000 years old which is 5,000 years older than the pyramids that we were in so uh, yeah. uh I'm encouraged by that because uh there is much left to, left to learn about the world around us but and as well as, as uh, ourselves now the uh, the one time that uh well, there's different things one picks up in these different places, of course, and uh, uh, pyramids is one one example. Uh, uh, we were in the King's Chamber, which is in the Great Pyramid of uh, mm-hmm. of Giza in in Egypt, and uh, it's a well. I I can't express how be- beautiful and gorgeous the place yeah. the, the place is, and to get into it was uh, incredible. Uh, and and we had someone had tipped us off that we should sing when we're in the chamber. And so we were in in this king's chamber in the very center of the, the Great Pyramid on Giza, and uh, we started humming, singing, sort of chanting. And uh, Lloyd has a, a lower voice than I, and I did mid, and then there was a woman there who did high. And it was incredible. It, we were wow. isolated by thousands of tons of stone and you know, but yet the whole world alive, self alive. The whole pyramid seemed to be singing back to us, which was, yeah, you know, it still still raises the hair on the back of my neck. So that was an experience in that pyramid. Um, but in and a, a different pyramid, oh, I, I should say, in the King's pyramid, there's no carvings. There's nothing on the walls of the King's pyramid and the big one. Uh, but it, it sings. It it It's uh-huh. glorious sound. Whereas wow. some of the older <laughs> Pyramids are covered in these beautiful embossed uh, um, letters, hieroglyphs that we, we we present some in the book, and and here um, you could read. Yeah, a, a totally different experience, a totally different um, way of of communicating. I guess one was with just sound, and the other one was with with uh, letters and words. So uh, it's amazing how many different ways we can take it this take in this information and you know once you start looking at uh, the astronomical alignments of these uh, uh you know these various uh ancient monoliths you know stone edge i haven't been there yet but the heel stone and watching the sun come mm-hmm. up over the uh, at the summer solstice um so they, these are all different ways that 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 Information has gotten in, in, entombed. Uh, I don't like that word. Embodied in, in, in these yeah. structures, and, and uh, in many cases, you have to be there. You know, you, you can read, and I, you know, Google is great. Uh, yeah. But to, to actually be there for the sound, for the for the vision, to yeah. to see these things is uh, you do take away something from from having those experiences.
1: Yeah, so well, I've had guests on the show who've had transcendent experiences just visiting sacred sites. I mean, they've they've spoken of that that, that it is an experience that it goes beyond the senses. But when you talk about the singing, oh my, that's amazing. I haven't heard that before, and I think that 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 is really I don't know when you were talking about that to bring this to, to popular culture for the, there's a scene. In Raiders of the Lost Ark that captures this feeling, and it's that scene where he's holding the um oh, I don't remember what he's he's holding in his head uh, the light is coming in, and the music rises and and he shines the light on this ancient city and to me, that's capturing in a way what you're talking about, even though even if we've never been to any of those places um there's something mm-hmm. very magical about this connection. Um, that that reaches us even today, and and I think that as a child or whenever I saw, I guess I was a little older than a child, that had an impact on me, and I wonder why, mm-hmm. why, why that. And when you talk mm-hmm. of singing, it, it was an experience. I can't I can't explain it. You know, I can't explain it except it was powerful, and that's what I relate because I haven't traveled a lot, by the way. I just haven't had that opportunity yet and and yes. so um <laughs> exactly. well, I hope to travel some I probably not as much as as some people have, but um, but the thing is is um, we find these experiences in the way that we do, I guess because they mm-hmm. find us, um and mm-hmm. that came to mind. I have a question for you because you, you, re- you referred to this a couple times. You made me think about this. Is at some point, okay. I know that I read in your book about how our modern experience of the sky is so different now. You know, we unless well, a lot of us are in cities. You know, maybe we're, we're fortunate to get to a somewhere like Crater Lake near me, where you can you can see more of the night sky. But we don't mm-hmm. see the night sky, and in general, our relationship. You know, you talked about the solstice just now. Mm-hmm. Our relationship mm-hmm. with the sky is so different, and how that kind of changes how we might see some of these myths compared to how they did in the ancient world. Or, you know, the symbols that are used and. And just, um, I wonder if you could reflect on that a little bit. How how our relationship with the sky has changed, and, and so we may not see all the same things on the surface level anyway that that those in the ancient world saw every day. I mean, it was part of their reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming up to the solstice and Christmas, I and mean, we've yes. embodied it yes. in some of our, our modern day myths, but we don't experience it in that way. And uh, the the big the most interesting question for me has to do with the the Milky Way. I think everybody's heard of the Milky Way. It's the galaxy that we're in, and it, it lights up a band in the sky. And and I've getting back to my my personal experience, I've I managed to see it well, probably a couple times a year. But when you see it, say from the back of a boat on a on the out on the ocean, it is spectacular you know there's a way, it's it's undeniable it's unmissable you know and, and there's there's it's not just the milky way there's there's holes in it there's there's a great rift which comes down from it but in the city you'll never see it <laughs> even in a small town you'll never see it and uh, from what we've seen the milky way is is a very uh, uh, important visual that that is is uh, Captured in the myths, in terms of, yeah. you know, well, we we equate it with the netherworld. I don't know, are you familiar with the netherworld or the dwat? This this yeah. land which the pharaohs traverse through uh, to to get to a higher level, um, and and so we equate the, the Milky Way with with uh, with the dwat. And when you see this the, this band of light above you, it's it, it's remarkable. How it sticks out as opposed to most cities, you'll see, you might see some bright stars, Orion, and you might see the North Star, but the Milky Way, uh, for me, has a has a real a draw that 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 you don't experience in normal day life, driving down the highway or whatnot. So. To not have that visual, to not have that symbol in your life, to not know what the Milky Way looks like, uh, I think is a you know it's a bit it is a loss. It is a bit of a challenge that yeah that's that's a shame. And uh, it's actually
1: rather sad, isn't it, that humanity so many don't have that experience anymore. It really is sad in a way.
0: And when you look in in sort of uh, prehistory and and, at the you know the time that that some of these earlier structures were built, and to realize that they were lined up on things that that that, that people saw every night, it's uh, it's in one way it's amazing. In another way, it's like well, it's there, you know, it's it's so obvious. But for us, it, it's uh, it's kind of missing, and and uh, and that goes for um, you know, another powerful image that that's much more day to day is a good sunset or a good sunrise. <laughs> Yeah. To, yeah. To see the sunrise or sunset, for me sitting on a beach to, to see the sunset, you, I get a real sense of that the Earth is moving. You know, it's, it's like, yeah. and we're moving pretty fast. You know, look at the sun go. Um, so it, some of the images uh, uh, carry forward, and, and but some of them are just purely intellectual in terms of, oh yeah, I've heard the Milky Way and I know what it is, as opposed to, wow, look at that, it's. It's right up there, and it's arching over our heads, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we yeah. we get a little bit into Jungian archetypes uh, in terms of uh, you know images that, that 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 we all have, and 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 I think some of the the stars and the, and and the sky are some of the more powerful uh, archetypes that connects us all around the world in terms of yeah. oh yeah we can all see it and it's it's all there when you look up at the full moon and someone in africa is looking at that same full moon and
1: yes someone yes.
0: in yes. australia yes. is doing the same thing so
1: yes yes so true so true um you know there's one area that we haven't explored too much and maybe we can enter into this a little bit we still have still have time left is it's more yeah. more deeply exploring relationship a little bit and and maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, I mean, I don't know Osiris and Isis, maybe, or, or um, I, I'm not sure how you might want to explore that. We talked a little bit about the Gilgamesh myth and how mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that's about relationship, but, but, but I wonder if you could explore that a little bit more.
0: Oh well, my favorite relationship is between the two gods, Heka and Math. Okay. They're Egyptian. They're Egyptian. Uh, uh, gods, netars, principles—I guess—principles of action. And MaaT um, uh, is much more well known in the Western world. MaaT is the god, a female god. She's the god of order, justice, truth. Uh, she very much aligns with some of the Greek principles of you know order and everything is set out. Um, but in the book, we. We look into her mate, or her, the person who she has a relationship with, which is uh, Heka, and Heka is magic. Heka is creation. Heka is uh, generation. And in the pyramid text, which is in actually written in, in a dozen of the pyramids in Egypt, in the pyramid text, uh, there is a lot of Mention of of mat or at least in the translations, one can see references to mat all over the place. Order, you know, the pharaoh was lining up the, the farm lots and, and regulating the river and all this. But Heka, the the god of magic, is is not really apparent. It, it's uh, in in many of the the sort of 18th century 19th century translations, and we were struck by this because, uh, well, we are interested in, in the role of magic being biologists yeah. you know creation eco- ecologist order isn't the only thing out there you know there's something more that's that is generally required and yeah. so we explore the the the, the god of Hecca and how Hecca and not order and uh, Hecca and not magic and order um play a much bigger role in in creation uh, than we were taught led to believe um and it it's it's one of those paradoxes it, it's uh, they seem opposite one another but yet uh, in in our reading of the pyramid texts uh it became apparent that they're they both seem to be always present when there's creation so you need some order but you you need that that extra little bit whether it's what the spark of life, or that that little unknown, that that, that irrational impetus that that gets things going, and uh, so we found this really fascinating that that uh, that the two gods are, are often paired and often working in, in concert to 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 do to, to give rise to creation and 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 uh, the production of higher things. Now, my. Hecca, magic, of course, was very much uh, dismissed by the, the Christians in, in the medieval times, and so maybe what we first encountered was uh, sort of the the history of uh, of that interpretation. And, and uh, if whether that's so or not, I don't, I don't know. But we would like to promote magic, uh, the god of magic, and his relationship to 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 Matt uh, to, to better. Reestablish the myth of of, uh, of these two very important Egyptian creation gods, so that um, we in our Western world can start to appreciate that unknown. Um, uh, as a, as an ecologist, of course, there would, uh, there's always a question of you know what gives rise to things and what's the right level and yeah. and uh, you know how do predator prey interact uh, and and this. This relationship between these two opposite gods seemed to capture that very well. Is that you need, you know, you need uh, enough prey to support. You need enough foxes. Oh, you need enough hares, rabbits to support the foxes. But if you have too many foxes, you don't have any hares. You don't yeah. have any rabbits. So um, yeah. it, we, we found this relationship to be very useful in, in in applying even to some of our professional questions in terms of. Um, what is that more more than just order that that's required to to make us our ecosystems work and uh, um, yeah that, that we're still exploring the, that that particular relationship and uh, but it was fascinating to see once you dug a little bit into the actual early texts that 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 they the both sides were there even if they 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 weren't equally represented and, and hopefully we can. Um, somehow contribute to, to to looking at the Egyptian myths in a way that gives us an opportunity to to introduce magic and creation.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that, actually. I mean, because cause when you think about it, you know, even... Um the The quantum physicists, for example, if you want to bring physics up again, just briefly, is that some of that can appear like magic. <laughs> it's like, um, no. it, it defies the order that, that everyone thinks should be there. You know, of course, that's the whole point, you know, thinking that something is there has, a, has an impact, and it doesn't make any sense. It's like, you know, that's right. it, it seems very magical, and, you know, Jungian synchronicity, comes up you know that always uh, yeah. feels magical and and so i love yeah, yeah. that there's a myth encompassing now i think that's very cool we need to bring that forward
0: for sure and not just a myth this was one of the first myths ever written down it's like yes oh, yes you know it's it, not, how could that be and in a sense it
1: makes sense actually <laughs> well in,
0: in a sense it explains in that, a magical you know, they were writing way yes important things yeah, they were writing about important things. Uh, wow! You know, if you only have your one shot to to curve your story into a, a pyramid, you're going to write about important things to them, not yes. not you know yes. trivial things. So, uh, yes,
1: hmm. I would consider magic quite important. Yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. If it Even has to though do i with creation,
0: <laughs> a, uh, and magic in terms of creation in particular is is
1: very important. Is,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, looking at, at quantum physics, you're right, you know, two particles that are separated influencing each, each other, and we yeah. don't know how. That's it, great. It, it, That's, it seems
1: like magic.
0: <laughs> it seems like magic. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. And then very love, much well, so. It, it, it also borders on love making the world go round. I mean, mm-hmm. what's love, and how could love influence things? Well, it influences who we associate with and who we don't, and... Yeah. It's not as easy not to. It's not as easy to fall in love, and not easy to not be in love. It's uh, it, it, it's part of that magic. That it's part of the magical side that's represented by Hecca, as opposed to order and and uh, and and logic and justice, and,
1: and we need both. Yeah. We
0: need you know we need we need both, and and the myths remind us that that it's that balance to to find the right level for those those two forces is is really critical. Yeah. Not one over the other, not one beating up the other. It's it's a matter of let's let them both exist and see where that takes us.
1: Yes, yes, very much so. Well, well, Paul, um, what a what a wonderful hour! I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, and and I think we've come full circle. You know, we've come to this concept. You know, you emphasize so much in your work wholeness. You know, and and that's mm-hmm. really what you just expressed so beautifully, mm-hmm. and. And um, I, I just want to thank you very much for for being here today and just exploring. I, I really enjoyed our
0: conversation today. Oh, so did I. It's great fun, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Uh, well, I wasn't going to mention physics, but <laughs> you brought that in.
1: <laughs> well, Well, it just comes up, doesn't it? But, you know, it's still very approachable. I mean, these things are all becoming... Um, discussed among every... I mean, you don't, you don't even have to remember your physics if you took it from... Most people took some physics in high school. You know, all of us have been exposed to some of these things at some point, and although not quantum physics, I mean, that's really blowing <laughs> everyone out of the water. I mean... So, so, yeah. No, but uh, the whole just
0: lives on that level as well in terms it of, does. you know, you it can't does. partition spirituality of off in one, one corner and not deal with it in the rest of your world. So, uh, yeah, no, it's Absolutely. excellent. I really appreciate the time, and the, it's been fun chatting, and, and uh, you've got me thinking about a few other things I've got to follow up on.
1: Oh, good. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to remind people, I'm going to spell your website. In fact, why don't you spell your website again, the best place where people can learn about Your work, once again.
0: It's the first two letters of Awakening Higher Consciousness. So it's A-W-H-I-C-O dot com. And on the website, uh, we're posting blogs about some of human history and and, um, various things that we've followed up since the the book was published. There's also... But if you do a Google search or a Bing search for A-W-H-I-C-O, You'll find the links to the. We have a Facebook site and a Twitter site and and whatnot. And of course, we'd love to hear from anybody, uh, good or bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, feedback is always important, but um, definitely all the, the the social media tools are there. If you have a question or uh, something that uh, that that at some point you want to make that we could we could all benefit from. Yeah. So A W H I C O.
1: Well, I know I'll enjoy continuing to explore your work. You've given me a lot to think about, too, Paul. And um, and give my best regards to your co-author and co-traveler, Lloyd, because I I just find your work really interesting. And I hope the readers or the listeners become readers. In fact, let's put it that way: become (laughs) readers of your work and explorers of myth. Um, This is a gateway to to a richer world. So. Um thank you so much again Paul and and I I look forward to to more exploration in the future so um, thank
0: so, you take so much care. All All right. Right. Bye-bye. Take care.
1: Bye 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 um, just a quick note before the live audience goes, um, we do have another show tomorrow. As I said, these are action-packed weeks here heading into the holidays. Um, I'm going to be taking a little break over the holidays, maybe have a little little couple shows, perhaps. I'm not sure. But tomorrow, tomorrow is December 3rd, um, Thursday, um, 1 p.m. Pacific, again, same time, 4 p.m. Eastern, I have coming on the show yet another amazing person. Um, Steven Schwartz is coming on the show, and he has written for so many publications. I mean, um, just really an amazing researcher. And we're going to talk about his new book that just came out, The Eight Laws of Change, How to Be an Agent of Personal and Social Transformation. So that's tomorrow at um one p m pacific four p m Eastern I really invite you back here and next week i've got a bunch of shows too um i won't I will invite you to FrontierBeyondFear.com dot com to explore that schedule and to find our archive because we've had some wonderful shows um over the years, exploring myths and the power of myths as well. I mean, there have been any number of scholars and just so many things that we've explored. So I invite you to go to FrontierBeyondFear.com. And um, also, this is a listener-supported show, and I do very much appreciate your support um, to to help with airtime costs and things, whether it's energetically or in any other way. I very much appreciate that. And that's out there on FrontierBeyondFear.com, too. So um, thank you, everyone, for being here today. And I look forward to seeing you back tomorrow, because we're going to have another great mm-hmm. conversation tomorrow. And I just feel so energized by these wonderful guests. So take care, everyone.